Hey, thank you so much for being here. I'm Zariah, a ballet enthusiast, and I like to dedicate these episodes of my podcast to having some ballet chats. So if you want to fill your world with more beauty, dance, and art, you are in the right space. Let's hang out and get started. I'm so excited to talk about this book with you guys today, but I'm going to give you a quick overview before we dive into chatting about it and all the ins and out. So I'm going to read you the description, the book description I found on Goodreads. It says, this book is a reckoning with one of our most beloved art forms whose past and present are shaped by gender, racial, and class inequities, and a look inside the fight for its future. Every day, in dance studios all across America, legions of children line up at the bar to take ballet class. This time, in the studio shapes their lives, instilling lessons about gender, power, bodies, and their place in the world, both in and outside of dance. In Turning Point, journalist Chloe, I think her last name is pronounced Angal, but it's A-N-G-Y-A-L, just in case. So the journalist captures the intense love for ballet that so many dancers feel, while also grappling with its devastating shortcomings. The power imbalance of an art form performed mostly by women, but dominated by men. The impossible standards of beauty and thinness, and the racism that keeps so many people of color out of ballet. As the rigid traditions of ballet grow increasingly out of step with the modern world, a new generation of dancers is confronting these issues head-on, in the studio and on stage. There are truly so many different parts of this book to be unpacked, and one of them is I wanted to talk about some of the things that they said about like gender and our expectations of it. So for a lot of people, their experience with ballet is growing up, right? And tons of kids are in classes and stuff and ballet classes when they're young, but you kind of start to see that uh, drop with each year and that they get older the classes get smaller and smaller and a lot of this is because the unstated curriculums or the unexplicitly stated uh messages about who is welcome there and who is not or girls growing up and realizing oh my body doesn't look like their body and not feeling comfortable or welcome in that space and sometimes it's just like if you didn't put two and two together oh maybe you'll put it together when you go to shop for dance clothes and none of them look like you and there's just all of these barriers and gatekeeping right and you get these unspoken messages about how you should think or be to be a dancer or a ballerina and how intense is it that like one of the most popular activities among children is so loaded you know the fact that so many kids are growing up and they start to learn like you're not the epitome of what this thing is and i think a lot of that comes down to like the professional companies like they start to get weeded out and see like who is going to be deemed as having what it takes to be professional and not and honestly growing up they'll tell you like work hard work hard work hard it's your technique it's your dancing that sets you apart but i would say that there's a lot of unspoken rules and you start to grow up and realize, um, oh, it's not just about my dancing, right? Like for some people, I literally remember being told while I was growing up, like don't run and don't do certain exercises because it'll bulk my muscles and make me no longer look like I have the body type to be a dancer. And I remember how frustrating that is because it's like I look back now and towards my end of my senior year, one of my worst injuries, you know, I just look back and I realize how could that have been prevented? if I had not been discouraged from allowing my body to develop muscle and cross-train and be well-rounded, all because someone had such a narrow-minded view on what I should look like to be deemed worthy to be on stage. And man, that's a lot to unpack, right? That like there is people deciding, often older white men for a lot of ballet history, they are this room kind of deciding 
and upholding like what deserves to be on stage what deserves to be showcased what is associated with femininity or frailty or high art or classiness or elegance and you know from the pink tights to the richness there's just so much in that that has a lot of connotations and tells a lot of people you're not good enough to be here you're not good enough to be seen on a stage or oh you're good enough to practice with us but we would never display you to the world and what does that teach like kids and people about themselves that's a side of the industry that really needs to be reckoned with because here's the thing is like it's really telling that like I don't know, you look up and you see who starts quitting through the ages, right? Or maybe they feel like only they're welcome in jazz or contemporary or things because this is what their body is more acclimated for when they love ballet. And I just think that's crazy because that is all messages we're receiving from someone on what they decide is worth being there. And we can take that back for our art and for our medium and decide that it's not just who they decide is worth being there and worth being seen. Like I, I say, let the audiences decide. Let ballet lovers decide like let's collectively like shoot like I I don't know I want to see fat dancers I want to see old dancers I want to see dancers that are mothers I want to see so many more kinds of people than they're like allowing me to see on stage and I just think that the world does too what the heck so there's a lot of messages to unpack and one of the ones that the book gets into was gender and just how differently you're treated and what that like does to your worldview as a girl versus a boy growing up and again I don't want to say all ballet is like this obviously you have some studios challenging this you constantly have people reinventing like what's considered the norm for ballet and I would say that um all of those things are great because we're going to make progress in those areas but I want to kind of reflect on my experience and what is like a common experience that has to be acknowledged and one of them is just how girls versus boys are treated in ballet so let's jump into like how this like also shows up in gender. So one thing that a lot of people kind of know what it's like growing up in ballet is like, ballet schools are always looking for more men. They're always looking for more boys. And they find them harder to recruit than girls. I think a lot of this is because the ballet world has been so associated with like femininity and um, as a feminine art form, which is kind of interesting because like in the beginning only men did ballet when the art form was first created. But anyways, um, as of today, I think a lot of people associate it with an image of femininity and girliness and daintiness and the tutu and the sparkles, right? However, um, that's kind of loaded in itself that like, because um, it's so associated with the feminine, people feel like it might not survive and that we need boys in it more than ever. And dance schools feel like they need boys. I've heard it said to like legitimize the art form, which is kind of crazy because it implies that if something is like, too associated with women it won't be taken seriously as a serious art form and it's the presence of men there that like makes it a serious art form and that's kind of crazy right like it's kind of crazy to think that like you could be incredible athlete as a female but like you need a man to legitimize it as something that's not frou-frou and something that is as demanding as it is but that's something that I ran into a lot growing up with ballet and I also ran into like boys just being treated so differently from girls because they were more in demand you kind of get the message as a girl that you have to be what they decide a girl is um perfect if that makes sense like so you learn to be silent not to speak to others in class you learn to be observant you learn to be obedient um graceful just all these different things right and so all of that like there's just messages on what it is to be a perfect 
woman, I was told, you know, you don't get told a correction twice. You get told it once and you apply it. You just obey, you apply it, you do it without thinking. Like, and they just really condition you to be a certain kind of way. But it's a higher expectation for girls because you feel, I guess in my experience, I felt disposable. You knew there were so many people lining up to take your place and they just did not have as much grace as you and they treated you like just another number that another girl could come along and replace. But with the boys, it was like they really needed them in the program. So they get every lead performance they can and they get treated like they're really, really special and they get treated like they're really somebody. So you grow up in this environment where you're watching the boys be treated just completely differently from the girls and you know just feel like well they've got a career and they've got a scholarship and they don't have to be even a third as good right because there's just such a demand for them and also sometimes it's carried over into like behavior um, expectations of the girls were really really strict how we wore our hair how we wore our nails how we showed up to you know our day but the boys because they didn't want to scare them off and they didn't want them to quit and they wanted them to stick with it they weren't as hard on them and so they got to do a lot of things that we didn't and one example of this might be like uniforms um <laughs> so like if they didn't want to wear tights like they weren't forced into uniform but like girls were forced into uniform in my school and a lot of us were like color-coded by like our rig and this also added to another layer of like unpacking. So moving beyond gender, let's move into wealth and rank, right? In my experience at a ballet school that I had dreamed of getting into, it was a ballet school that accepted me just barely, but they definitely put me in the lower ranks to humble me. But it was the first ballet school I got to train at that was connected to a professional company. And that was so excited for me because I got to see professional ballet company members at work. And it's funny because this ballet company is in a pretty progressive I guess part of the country and they claim to be a really progressive ballet company but a lot of the messages I encountered in their school growing up were pretty freaking close-minded um but one example of that was me coming in as a late starter and the color-coded thing right so like with girls we didn't have that agency over our body we don't have as much agency to say no or I'm not comfortable showing my crotch or I'm not you don't have that like you don't have that right to say no that boys had growing up in dance and that's kind of crazy because that definitely kind of shapes you in a way um but then my experience with the colored leotards at this school connected to a professional ballet company was one that was very humbling for more reasons than like rank or ability and it was like it made me very aware that we did not have the same starting lines and so in my experience with leotards and what we we were like color-coded by the level we were in when we got into the school and it didn't matter like your age it was like what they saw in your ability and your potential um and all that kind of jazz so it's not like okay just because you were 16 you're gonna be placed with the 16 year olds it doesn't really work like that they go by like ability level right and so i started much later than a lot of my peers and i had a lot of catching up to do and moving up to do and so when i got into you know some recreational studios that would finally like allow me to train and take a chance on me and not just write me off as like too late to start or get on point I did do a lot of catching up and I got on point and I was dancing larger roles and I was doing all this stuff. And then I decided that I wanted higher aspirations and I wanted to get closer to like a ballet company. So I auditioned for a ballet company or a ballet school connected to a professional ballet company that shared the same building as the professional ballet company members. And that was so exciting to get like a window into that world. But it also um, was sometimes traumatizing. Um, and one aspect of that was, so since I auditioned for this company and it was more as you could say, when they placed me into a lower level with some girls younger than me, I just like accepted that because, you know, I hadn't had the like 
backing on paper and they wanted me to go back to the basics and made sure that I didn't make any of the foundations and I was really excited for that and so I stayed humble and sometimes it was embarrassing and I didn't look like anyone in the class with me but I would go and I would um, work really hard and just really be happy to even be let in to this exclusive environment right but you know it was definitely times where it was like so we all shared the same locker room and it was the girls in the higher levels that were like my same age and maybe we went to high school together or maybe we would see each other outside of the ballet world at like model united nations or like extracurriculars right and um they would normally like in a normal environment they wouldn't get to like treat you like you're nothing like you would just be a person to a person like i look back and i'm like man if i just met a person like that i would never treat them that way but in the ballet world it was like there was their own set of rules that they had to follow so like one i mean by that is particularly like the girls in older levels definitely did not have to be kind um they kind of got to treat you like you're nothing or like they looked at me a girl their age that wasn't in their level and they really looked down on me and they really really snubbed me and they were really rude to me and a lot of times they just didn't even notice your existence they just ignored you like you were not a person in the room and they wouldn't acknowledge you they wouldn't speak to you they'd just walk around you or walk right by you like you were the important ones and oh here you are you poor little thing trying to take lessons and that was like kind of loaded in multiple ways because the only reason that I was not at the level that they were in or had the chances that they had was because I did not have that kind of home life. You know, I didn't have a parent to take me to ballet classes consistently growing up and I didn't have the money. And it wasn't until I moved in with my grandmother when I was 12 that I finally even got to take like official ballet lessons at that level. And I always thought to myself like, man, if I had the parents they had or I had the chance that they have, like I might be where they are, but I didn't. I didn't have that like stability in my life. I didn't have that money. I didn't have that lack of trauma. So I just had to work with what I had. And I was treated as such lesser than because of it. And I remember like now, like I can still see it. Like I can still run into some of these girls and it's like crazy because now, you know, there's so many other leveling factors. It's like I'm married with a house and different jobs. And it's like crazy because, you know, when I was like a manager, I was thinking to myself, like, you know, how weird is it that you can like, manage someone in one area and then in another area like I'd, I'm not putting this in the right words but I'm just saying that like the way they treated you in there would have never been accepted if you had met as peers at the same age in another location and I think that's pretty wild to look back on because a lot of it was just like really wealthy rich girls that had it all just really really looking down on me and they got to justify it by she's not as good as us but in reality it's like she's more poor than us and she didn't have the upbringing as us and like screw her and that was really loaded like the way that you just don't even breathe towards people you deem as less advanced than you or you really put them down or you make fun of them like a lot of the times you're making fun of people that have like health issues or home issues or wealth issues and it's pretty crappy like to make fun of someone because they didn't have the wealth or the access as you or they're not as far as you like if you see another person your age even if they're not as far as you in your craft it does nothing just to like be kind, say hi, acknowledge them. They're a human being. You're both humans in that room. In conclusion, um, so my experience with like the level coded leotards was pretty brutal when I got in like professional ballet environments and uh, definitely a way to uphold a lot of classism and, you know, just ranking in life. Like, and I would feel really you know, I just, I feel like art is supposed to be a relief from the world and an outlet and all these wonderful things. 
but sometimes it can just be a way to further crack down and enforce upon inequalities, right? And so I think about just the way I was treated just as someone that started late and was poor, but I had what many could consider an acceptable body. Um, there was times I was told it wasn't enough, but I think about the fact I'm like, oh my God, like, so if this wasn't enough for them, what about someone that deviates way farther from the standard? Like, are they just not even going to be given a freaking chance? Like, no, you can't do this art form just because you don't look like how we want you to look like. You're not as rich as we want you to be. Like, things like that are just wild to me because you really don't need to adhere to all of that. Um, that being said, uh, with the levels and the coding, it kind of goes back to with, like, the boys and stuff. They weren't, they're not required to wear, like, color-coded leotards showing their rank and their worth in the company. In our company, they were just all required to wear the same thing, which was like white t-shirts and black ballet tights. And if they were really upset about the tights, they could get out of it and wear shorts or something so that they wouldn't quit. And so the message that we got like as girls growing up was like, we are sorted into ranks, but they're all equals and they're all very important. <laughs> and we don't have agency over our body and how much we want to show or how little we want to show, but they do. That's a pretty crazy thing to look back on and unpack. And I just don't believe literally any, any of that is necessary for dance. And like, if you ever come take lessons with me, we can make it as feminine or masculine in the movement interpretation as you want it to be. You can wear what you like, wear what you're comfortable with. If you like the classic traditional tights and leotard, and that feels good to you, wear that. But if you wanna wear something else, you can wear something else because I think all of those little things really distract from what it's about, which is the dancing. The next thing I wanted to talk a little bit about was injury. So the book talks about how dancers um, often get injured the same amount as someone in like a high contact sport, which is really crazy to think about. So the implications of that are intense. If you are lucky enough to even be provided healthcare, but a lot of companies aren't, or if you are a dancer that like ballet dancer that works on a like, gig basis, like you're doing guest shows or something like that, like a um, injury like that can put you out and you don't have any income coming in if you can't perform so a lot of people choose to push through it at their own detriment which can like like um, shorten their career and things like that but a lot of times they aren't given like the same amount of choice because they already have like a meager income and in ballet there's always this message that you're just so I guess disposable like if the contracts are only like one year long then if you think about it like if you take four months off to rest your back or something like that then you might not get your contract renewed the next year and so your career can be done and a lot of times people say like your prime dancing years are like 18 to 22 and that like again it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with like ageism and stuff <laughs> I think that's so wild because it's like that scarcity mentality of like well I only have four years of the best years of my dancing life like it really causes people to like push through and dance on injuries that they shouldn't have to and I believe that we should just reject this ageist mindset that like you're at your prime when you're super young and allow dancers to take the time they need like for me I mean obviously this is privilege like it kind of comes down to income and a lot of these privileges and choices get taken away from you if that's like what's putting the food in your mouth for me um, I've made the decision at this season in my life the one I'm recording <laughs> I'm actually at work as I record it and go about my day like I'm a delivery driver so I um, have taken a job where I can supplement my income and not rely on just ballet to provide for me before that exact reason of like 
I don't want to feel forced to perform through injury and I want to dance for a really, really long time. And since I'm not in a position where I have great access to healthcare and all of these things, I have to, if I get hurt or I, I can't overexert my body, I have to take it slow and steady and listen to my body and take care of it because if not, um, it probably won't get fixed for me. And I can't afford that. I have to support myself in other ways. And a lot of people can't afford to just burn through and use their body like that. I mean, shoot. Can anyone, like, do you, does anyone really have good enough medical care that they can freaking afford to, um, I don't know, do that and, like, play around with their health like that? Not a lot of people can afford that. And again, some people in certain positions are put in difficult and compromising positions where they have no choice and they simply have to. But with that being said, I really just think that that's terrible. And I kind of wonder, like, if that could be different, like, changed. If, again, we had this mentality that it wasn't just, like, the young and shiny and unbroken and the most extreme and then replace them the moment that they're not that. You know, like, if there was more to a ballet dancer than that. Like, their maturity, their... I don't know. I just think that, in general, that's a mentality that I really don't love. And I would like to see dance and the opportunities for dance just totally reinvented and I want to see more people that maybe like me like I it's a trade-off like when you work full-time you don't maybe have the same amount of time to dance but I'm not feeling like if I injure myself I'm not going to be able to feed myself but at the same time my job is really physical so I can't afford to totally injure myself so I have to take it easier than maybe some dancers and that's like trade-offs that you have to consider and weigh but personally sometimes I wonder like if all the messages I heard growing up of like you won't be able to dance when you're 60 so do it now if we were kind of pushed into that, because then you push your body so hard thinking this is it, I have to make a bit most of it right now, and then maybe it won't last that long. Like what could be different if we were allowed to give our bodies what they need and treat them with gentleness and take care of them? Would we have more longevity comparable to other athletes if we weren't pushed this message that we aren't allowed to stop? I found that in my experience with the ballet world, there's this mentality pushed of no pain, no gain. And if you aren't willing to suffer through it, you don't want it bad enough. And so it becomes like a suffering competition. And I wonder how much that implication that if you don't do this, you don't want it bad enough feeds into your mind and pushes you to hurt yourself. I think some of my worst injuries came from pushing myself way too far and eventually I tore a hamstring and it was so, so painful in a season where I really needed to be at my peak performance in my senior year. And I felt like I had to compensate for, you know, I missed a rehearsal because I had been sexually assaulted that year. And I felt like then when I had to get in the studio, I had to compensate. And it, it just, it's so intense. And you always feel like you have to prove you want it the most in the room. And so I just want to say to anyone listening, like, abusing your body does not determine how much you love this. You can still want it bad enough and still be totally in love with ballet and also believe that your body deserves respect and good treatment and not to be abused and decide that you want to take care of it and have a long time in this industry, not just burn short and bright, you know? You are not less of a dancer and not less of someone who loves ballet because you don't want to be injured or suffer. And I don't believe that they have to exist together. Yes, there's pain and being an athlete and working out and things like that, but I don't believe we have to glorify suffering at this level. One thing that I really appreciated about this book is how many times I was able to see myself and relate to the things being said that for so often I just felt like maybe I was not enough or I was broken or I just wasn't good enough that I actually realized are like more experiences that happen to more people than they don't, you know what I mean? 
And one of them, of course, is just like overall, we've been talking about how they don't value your health. They have very limited budgets and they need to get a lot of out of the artists that they do pick. And so you're always kind of treated as disposable and that they need to get a ton out of you. And like, well, what are we supposed to do with an injured dancer? And even though you do a job that is like highly demanding, they kind of treat it as your fault when you get injured even if sometimes injuries are caused by the requests of the company it is not unusual for companies to ask for people to lose weight for a specific line and it's well documented what happens when you underfeed your body and that how women can go into early menopause which can affect your brain performance and it affects your bone density and it causes some massive issues for the dancers down the line but I think that the companies just are like well they'll be retired and out of our hands by that time it's not going to be our problem what happens to their body later if they want to stay right now they need to fit this demand you know and so they kind of like breed health issues oftentimes by not letting people stay at a healthy weight or like for example one thing she talks about in the books is how you aren't allowed to choose a point shoe that works well for your foot I mean point is already extremely hard on the body and there is a lot of evidence that we shouldn't be doing it to bones still forming and kids still growing up. And in this book, there was a doctor that even, um, I believe, argued about people starting point as old as 15, which is crazy. That would just, that's completely different to like what you hear in the ballet world. You hear like 15's too late to start, like much less get on point, like be that the recommended age to get on point. Like some people are already fully fledged professionals by then. Which is crazy to think about because then you have some other contradicting information that like by the time these kids are like full professionals that you're making them do things that are going to cause lifelong damage to their body. And is that necessary for the art form when we know better, you know? And one example of this is like with Gaynor Mindens. So I remember in like a more recreational small studio I first joined, they had let you kind of try out different shoes and find one that really worked for your Foot. But when I wanted to move up in the world, when I wanted to get closer to a professional ballet company or one that actually can pay their dancers, when I joined that school, they required us to wear a shoe that was sponsored by the school or that sponsored the school. We were all required to wear the same brand of point shoe, even if it didn't work very well with our feet. And they died really fast. They were extremely expensive. And like I said, like it, it definitely did not have the priority of the dancer's health in mind at all which is really interesting to like look back on. And of course, mental health, if your physical health wasn't important, mental health just like wasn't even talked about at all. It was just like, you're either strong enough for this or you're not. And that like implies that mental health is a matter of being strong or weak. And I really disagree with that. Like we have evidence that mental health is real, that it creates structural changes <laughs> in your body and brain. And we would never look at someone with a broken leg and be like, well, you're weak, you didn't try hard enough. But actually ballet sometimes does have that mentality. And it's not wild. And like listening to other people's stories and feeling so seen, I realized it's not just because I was not trying hard enough for this or that. And then also just to add an extra layer, as an autistic woman, sometimes, and I didn't know I was autistic because of systemized reasons, and it's really normal for women to kind of fall through the cracks and not get diagnosed until they're an adult, so I found out I was autistic at 23, basically 24, and that was crazy, and then now realizing that, I realized that, like, as an autistic person, sometimes I have trouble telling how much pain I'm in or what my body really needs, and the crazy part about that is ballet just capitalized on it and I was like well this is great I'm great suited to this I have the highest pain threshold ever but basically I was just really good at ignoring like 
the injuries and damage I was giving to my body and that was praised and that was rewarded and the things that are often rewarded are the things that are going to give you long-term pain and it's like why is that necessary to have this beautiful movement and this beautiful art like we have you know circuits all about just crazy extension crazy tricks things that are just so hard on the body and it's not really about being like a great artist or anything and that's just so wild to look back on and remember and she even talks a little bit about sex and like uh trigger warning for s sexual assault but uh she talks about how sex can be made more painful by being a ballerina and you can have just this terrible pelvic pain and I blamed that on my sexual assault and my doctor did too. They were like, this is just your trauma. And I never even considered it was my ballet floor making my pelvic floor tighter or that this was so common in women and elite athletes. So, and also they were warning me about like my bone density and things like that. And I didn't put it all together that a lot of this came from the way that I was raised and the pressures I was under during my training. And I just think that like ballet is such a beautiful art form and so many kids flock to it and so many adults flock to it. Can we not salvage it and make it something more beautiful without these terrible requirements? And a lot of times you don't even realize it was ballet that did it to you because if you have been sexually assaulted or you're a woman that's not believed or, you know, a minorities, they often feel like um, they are not believed and they don't get the same access to medical care. So, you know, you realize like how ballet has been able to kind of systematically break people, but it kind of always just gets blamed back on the dancer instead of the industry having to face any accountability for how they're training these kids and the pressure they're placing on them and the adults as well. So that's pretty wild for me to think about and to hear how much I resonated in this book with some of the things that were being said. One of the things that they touch on is just like how much it is rooted in whiteness and a white idea of desirability and some instances of racism and just how it's kind of baked into ballet. And I feel like it's a conversation everyone should listen to and that she articulates so much better than me. But these are not um, chapters to be skipping in that part of the book. They're actually really important and really informative and I would definitely not skip those chapters. The other chapters that I wouldn't skip is like oh, the ones where they talk about like the boys that do ballet and how much they get bullied and how it is systematically just a huge, much larger rate than their peers of bullying for males that choose to do ballet. And the implication is like, wow, what kind of boy would want to do something so feminine and align himself with womanhood? And I think that is just so messed up because like as a girl, when I would like go and try the things my brother wanted to do when I was growing up or like be a tomboy as they would say um it was so encouraged it was like oh look at her go she's tough she's trying things out she's breaking glass ceilings and I was really encouraged to participate in any activity like that but it's like the vice versa does not apply like if a boy wants to go and participate in something like associated with girls like ballet they just get so much crap for it and I think it's an unfair double standard. I also think it says a lot about like if you aspire to something associated with masculinity, it's like wow, look at you go, so great. But if you aspire to something associated with like being a woman, it's like, well, why would you want to be that? Which says a lot about our attitudes toward things associated with women and our opinion that those or not our opinion, but the opinion held by those people that feel that way about how they deep down feel. And like, I don't know, that their boy being more girlish was like the worst thing imaginable to them. And the book also touches on like some of the bullying the boy received. And a lot of it was just homophobia, fearing that their son was gay. <laughs> and I want to say that like 
boys who do ballet are not inherently gay, though that is often a stereotype. But even if they were, like, what is the problem? Don't you want your child to be happy? Don't you want them to feel safe and accepted and belong? And so um, the implications of being bullied around, like, being a man doing ballet is, one, ballet cannot be masculine, which is totally false. Two, being gay is bad, false. Three, being or doing something that is associated with women is unsightly or not as admirable as if you're striving towards something associated with men and all of that is crap in my humble opinion so but I think the book unpacks it a lot better than I can and does so in a much more articulate way and so I really just again recommend this book all the way through I feel like I'm trying to add what I can to the conversation but so much of this book says so much about this conversation better than I even could and it just makes me sad because I just think that, like, we put all of each other into these boxes, but at the end of the day, like, people are experiencing art, they're experiencing movement, and also if they want to celebrate femininity, that is just as wonderful as celebrating masculinity, and both, you know, and it doesn't even have to be necessarily gendered feminine or masculine, but even if it was, even if ballet just was for girls, that's not bad, <laughs> you know, and it's, like, not a bad thing that your son would have respect for women and something associated with women. It's pretty cool. So I don't know. It's just like when I wear pink at work, you know, you're not taken as seriously as like when you wear black or something associated with men. There's all those little things that add up that you're just like, why? Like, why do we fear color? Why do we fear, um, why do we fear self-expression? Why do we fear art? And so much of that has to do with like this idea of restraint and white whiteness. And it reminds me a lot of like Victorian ages and purity culture and aristocracy and it's so intersectional with just like women's rights equal rights for a different race like there's just so many layers to unpack in it all and they all really interrelate back to just like I don't know I guess the standard beliefs around what people believe is the right way of being an aspirational and what people believe is not and I think that there are some things from ballet that are so incredible in character building and so awesome for young people. But there are other messages that they get that are just wild to me. And a lot of it is just like the bullying people face in their own home and their own culture. And I don't know, I just, I, if, you, if that's you, if anyone listening to this faces crap for like loving ballet and loving the arts, freaking screw that noise. Embrace it. Embrace loving movement. Embrace loving art. Embrace loving the fashion that comes with it. Embrace whatever makes you resonate with this art form because at the end of the day, you're an artist and we need your voice here. And that is such a terrifyingly sad phenomenon that pushes out so many incredible people we could have seen incredible art from. Thank you.